0: You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm.
1: Created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.
0: For more information, head to (laughs) 3cr.org.au.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to In Psychedelia on this Sunday afternoon. And uh, perhaps it's not a Sunday afternoon for you when you're listening, but this show was first broadcast on the 25th of October 2020, and you can figure out whatever time and date it is, wherever you happen to be. If you are listening live, 3CR 855 AM, 3CR.org.au, or 3CR Digital, then uh, the show you just heard is Freedom of Species. If you're not listening live, do go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Check out some of the other programs uh, that are available on 3CR, covering a huge range of social justice issues uh, in with in-depth detail from uh, people who uh, are actually from the communities uh, that we're talking about. So it's the voice of the people who are the people uh, of these communities, which um, you know c- can be a bit of a difference to the uh, mainstream where you get... Um, a different approach. I'll, I'll just leave it at that because I feel like I'm rambling. 3cr.org.au is the place to go. While you're there, you can also donate if that's something that you're capable of doing. We are all volunteers and we appreciate every dollar um, that you might be able to donate to help everything uh, continue on here at 3CR. Uh, my name is Nick and this show is in psychedelia. We cover all things drugs. We talk about policy, science, uh, and culture, all the things in between. And it's been a very... Strange year, this year. Uh, we'd normally be going into festival season, uh, summer. It's been heating up and then cooling down and then raining and then it'll be heating up again. Uh, but um, this year, it's going to look very different because I suspect we're not going to have any large scale events. Um, and, oh, oh, sorry, unless you're uh, unless you race horses, in which case uh, you get special um, uh, special uh, permission uh, because uh, I uh, yeah, that's um, a silly horse noise. Oh gosh. I think I'm feeling more and more apathetic as the year goes on, but um, I guess I, I don't want to share that with you today because I want to, uh, I want to get uh, optimistic a little bit. On this afternoon's show, we are going to be uh, catching up with Steph from the Progressive Public Health Alliance. Uh, the Pro- uh, Progressive Public Health Alliance are a relatively new organisation. They had their inaugural uh, conference last year, uh, which Ash and I attended, um, and they are all about um, addressing public health issues uh, with solutions um that actually might make a difference rather than continue to do the same things and beating our head against a wall. Because a lot of public health issues are wicked problems at heart, social or cultural problems that are difficult to solve for a number of reasons, whether it's um, incomplete or or contradictory knowledge. Uh, I mean, with drugs, um, there are so many variables in uh, people's decision to take drugs, in the drugs that they're actually taking, in the policy framework that they are within, uh, whether or not the the socioeconomic class uh, uh, plays a, plays a factor as well. Um, so many different uh, different aspects uh, take play that it's hard to it's hard to solve the problem, solve the issue once and for all. And I look using the word problem. I don't think that's right either because I don't think there is a drug problem um, unless we perhaps look at the way that policy has been approached in this country. Uh, drug policy is perhaps the problem. All sorts of contradictions within the policy. We have a harm reduction framework, yet we spend three quarters of our money uh, on policing, uh, which is meant to reduce supply so fewer people can get their hands on drugs. But uh, from all the data that we've seen, from the people that we've spoken to over the past five years, what we know is that... Uh, every time this happens, there doesn't appear to be huge changes in the market. Every now and then you'll get shifts in the market where one uh, cl- one substance um, perhaps becomes more expensive, but that doesn't stop people taking drugs. Usually what happens is people switch to different drugs, sometimes more dangerous drugs. And this is the, the sort of cyclical nature of this issue, that there is something innate in humans... Uh, wanting to alter their state of consciousness. We accept that with alcohol. We accept that readily with alcohol. Governments will uh, speak about the cultural and economic benefits of something like alcohol, yet uh, we still struggle with uh, other drugs. So we're going to be catching up with Steph from the Progressive Public Health Alliance uh, a little bit later in the show. And uh, if you want to find out more about what we're talking about at uh, 3cr.org.au or inpsychedelia.org, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, and um, get in touch with us. If you want to say something, if you want to share something with us, then get in touch with us because we'd love to hear from you. I'm going to stop rambling on now. I'm feeling it's a very rambly time at the moment. Hmm. This is Mr Savona, by the way. On Once
1: again, this is by the sunshine Representing Mr. Savona All the way from down on Australia <laughs> So righteous, yes Hey See the young girl I feel it free Positively Hoping she not flex With the money and great Cause she know Words are the way To the soul Cut down the tree With an accent Now grow me I feel honest and a man with pride In one grand things Be in family See what me I say But one gun gunshot People dying everyday That will not solve anything So me say By the way I think I should mention That I found love In the memory of Peace and blessings We manifest in it All from above it is a real love, by the way. Me think I should mention all the violence. Hey, it's has no love. Why are we fighting when we're living so righteous? Yes. Hey, hey. Why is it so difficult for me to understand why some people want to preach righteously but the way that they I feel they should step another direction and show them affection. For money, only coming for some. My friend, my brother, my friend, fake over holy must send. So me say, by the way. If you are real man, then you will understand See the young girl, I feel free, positively Hoping she not flex with their money and grace Cause she know, words are the way to the soul Cut down the tree with an accent Now grow me happy, understand a man with pride They want grand things Be in family, see what me say But one gunshot, people dying day. That will not solve anything So me say, by the way I think I should mention that I found love In the memory of and blessings we manifesting in the from above, it is a real love, by the way, me think I you mention all the violence, hey. it has no love, why are we fighting, when we're living so righteous, yes, hey, hey, hey. by the way. 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community.
2: At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe, and be kind to each other.
3: A determined community campaign over five years won the ban on fracking and a moratorium on onshore gas drilling for Victoria. It was a great victory for grassroots people power, but now the Victorian government has decided to lift the moratorium on onshore drilling, even though its own report admits it won't bring down gas prices. Even worse, they want to open up the west coast of the state to offshore gas drilling. It's essential we stand up now and make it clear that the time for new fossil fuels is over. Join the campaign by checking the Friends of the Earth website at www.melbournefo.org.au/gas. Friends of the Earth is a 3CR supporter.
2: Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the DOGS program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. 12pm on Saturdays, here on 3CR 855 and AM Dial podcast, streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it.
0: You are listening to Encyclopedia on 3CR Radio, broadcasting live on the internet at at 3cr.org.au and um, shared on various various social social media pages, pages, including including YouTube. Uh, Today, today we are speaking with Steph Luson from Progressive Public Public Health Alliance, Alliance, who who have been been doing a a range range of things things over the last last couple of years, years, including including some some advocacy around vaping, vaping, um, the 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 treatment treatment sector, and and a bunch of of other things. things, um, First, First time, time on the show, on the show today, today, and, and just, just for, for listeners, listeners behind the, the scenes, scenes Steph, I've, I've been fanboying Steph's work, work now for uh, <laughs> um, probably <laughs> over <laughs> a year. Um, probably <laughs> probably one, one of the the, the quiet achievers in, in Melbourne's Melbourne struggle law reforms uh, community. Yeah. So, um, welcome, welcome to the show, to the Steph.
4: Show, Steph. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you so much for having me. So nice to be on. Finally, it's like ages we've been talking about it.
0: I think think this is is the the first time time we've had anyone from from the Progressive Public Public Health Alliance Alliance on. So So maybe maybe to start with, do you want to explain um, what What is is the Progressive Progressive Public Health Health Alliance?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, PPHA is a group of activists, campaigners, uh, medical practitioners, uh, people from uh, the legal sector who all have a shared collective vision about the future, the future of Progressive of Drug Laws. Uh, so we're wor- working across a range of uh, drug classes, whether it be vaping, whether it be pill testing, uh, whether it be, you know, I feel like it's a bread and butter issue that really should be addressed immediately. But, you know, the lack of treatment centres that we have in this country, the fact that we've got two, between 200,000 people and 500,000 people sitting on waiting lists, um, so we ad- we advocate across the country, whether it's about harm reduction measures, whether it's about prevention measures, but also um, trying to persuade governments of all stripes uh, to start looking at this um, in a multi, multi-faceted approach. Uh, so, you know, it's really our position that, you know, uh, making change in this space is not only a moral imperative, but... It's actually a financial imperative. And I think even um, what the whole world is collectively going through at the moment, there has never been a better time to take the lessons of the COVID-19 pandemic and start to implement those in the public with the public health lens. So that's a little bit about what we do and what we're fighting for. Um, we do work across the country. We work uh, with councils, state governments and federal government. Uh, we have worked internationally as well, so a little bit about us.
0: So, what some of the campaigns or, or issues that um, the the organisation's been involved in since its inception?
4: Sure. So, uh, our first big event was the harm reduction conference that was on last year in Melbourne. So, it was the first time. Uh, the City Health International Conference was held in Australia and we were lucky enough to host that in Melbourne, which was fantastic that, you know, brought public health experts from across the country but indeed from around the world to discuss these issues um, and how they could be best implemented in Australia. So that was certainly um, a highlight for us. Um, one of our main campaigns at the moment is We Are Crystal Clear. So that is a campaign campaign that uh, was was actually born out of that conference. And that's why I love, uh, you know, there is nothing better when public health officials meet somewhere together, which feels like a distant dream at the moment in a pandemic. But that was really where that conference was, bo- that campaign was born, uh, because we had this little, this very unassuming group of uh, drug and alcohol workers come in from Alice Springs and they run an incredible outreach team called Crystal Clear. Uh, And it was born out of the fact that the influx of crystal methamphetamine into Alice Springs from Adelaide was having incredibly detrimental effects um, for the people of Alice Springs, but indeed also the satellite communities as well. Uh, I was lucky enough to go out there and visit, go out on country with them, see what they do and positive impacts that, that's having in the community. And it really inspired us to you know, look at this whole, the whole concept of the war on drugs. And really it was our opinion that when we look at something like crystal methamphetamine, we are making the same mistakes um, that we made with heroin. Now, we're getting to a better position with heroin now. We have some safe injecting rooms. Of course, we always want more. Um, we have replacement therapies. We're nowhere near there yet with meth, and it's amazing if you look at um, the if you look at the media around ice. Um, it's very similar to that nineteen seventies like ooh, "just say no" war on drug mentality. So, Crystal Clear focuses on um, how we're handling crystal methamphetamine. Um, how we are not adequately addressing the problems in regards to the lack of treatment, the lack of education, um, the lack of support that the workforces and the actual and the current rehabilitation and outreach services have in terms of funding. Um, The lack, there's no enterprise bargaining agreement for alcohol and other drug workers, which means that there's no clear career progression for them. Um, So we think crystal meth and how we deal with that is a really should be a really great catalyst for us to start addressing the broader problems of us not having anywhere near enough support for these workers or support for the sector and the the clear lack of you know treatment we've got as well. So that's that's our real that's our big first campaign. Um, we are working with a range of campaigners across the country in regards to tobacco harm reduction and vaping and it's a very hot issue at the moment um pill testing well look you know we're very supportive of measures like pill testing um where you know obviously you know lots of people bill that as a summer issue so that's sort of on hold at the moment given what we're going through um but you know there's little things as well um we are doing work on public drunkenness we are you know um it's little things like opioid replacement therapy and how much that costs and the cost to the consumer and things like that so um there's sort of these big flagship things we're working on and then there's always little things in the background that we're always sort of agitating and fighting for and you know trying to make those really the clever connections between business, government, the trade union movement, um, and you know unassuming uh, sectors as well. So,
0: what does what what, what does that mean? So, I think um, I, I think you, you're kind of painting a really interesting picture, um, especially for some people in the activist community that uh, maybe think that the key is targeting politicians, and you're you're kind mm-hmm. of you know painting the broad issue of like no it involves it involves the workforce it involves the trade unions it also involves politicians what what do you mean when you say unassuming sectors who are the other groups that maybe people wouldn't think of
4: so i think my favourite example uh, is foundation house in sydney so and it's it's amazing to me i look i, I am a longstanding unionist Um, and I would have thought I had a pretty broad knowledge of that community. Um, And I was, you know, put onto this place in Sydney and I went up to have a look at it. So Foundation House is quite literally a trade union-initiated rehab. Um, It was set up initially in the 70s. Uh, It's funded by three key trade unions in New South Wales. Um, They're, you know, they... They've brought in partnerships with business, so the actual um, the huge employers of those union members have bought into that. Um, the government doesn't give them any money, but the government did give them a piece of land for 99 years with a one dollar consideration. So that, to me, was an incredible model. That I that we that that is one of our key um, campaign points with within the We Are Crystal Clear campaign because for us. We look at the potential of that and, you know, the sheer, I mean, it does a couple of things. Firstly, um, it's taking the pressure off of, you know, the ministers that people always go to. You know, I feel like as activists, we're always knocking on the door of the mental health minister. We're always knocking on the door of the health minister saying, help, help, help. When you've got something like this that is so intrinsically linked to business to trade unions, that actually opens the door to so many other avenues of funding. Um, it opened, it. opens What it also does is I think it's a really fantastic way to destigmatise such a thing. Um, it's, it's, it's a measure that we see could, you know, get people back to work. We could get people, you know, if people are on disciplinary action, for example, for, you know, being under the influence, having something found on them at work, this could be a fantastic way to say, well, how about instead of disciplinary action, how about we make a commitment that we, if this person needs treatment, we're gonna get them into treatment and we're gonna get him in now, not six months from now, now. We're gonna get them in, we're gonna make a commitment that, you know, they might commit to outpatient counseling. That could be for, for me, I look at that and go, wow, something like that could really easily be implemented into a return to work claim for work cover. For example, when you start adding those sort of elements to, you know, opening up rehabilitation, it takes the pressure off of the current services. It takes it it it's it inspires other portfolios and other ministries to get involved because inevitably things like people sitting on waiting lists for six months, that affects everyone. The knock-on effects of that for business, for people's well-being, for their mental health, that is a it, that is applicable to everybody. So it's it's finding those sort of connections and making making it impossible for those sectors not to care, making it impossible for those businesses, community groups, whatever not to buy in because the reality is all of those all of those stakeholders have always had skin in the game. They just maybe weren't they weren't shown why maybe. Or it wasn't made theirs, perhaps. So that's my favorite example at the moment. And we're always uh, looking at ways that we can involve everyone, everyone, because it's an everyone issue.
0: I'm loving your um, passion, stick. Nick. You, you got any?
2: yeah yeah i 'm <laughs> just, I'm just loving, loving that passion and also yeah. um, just just um, a- approaching activism from a different direction because you are right so many uh, so many people are, are are trying to access just this small number of of politicians, but in a democracy, the game is not just uh, the representative who is representing perspectives in parliament they 're representing many perspectives it 's also finding the ways to get those many perspectives uh, to, to to change to uh, the way that you're, you're thinking this, this is actually going to be the successful way to make the bigger change. And then there's, there's a bigger voice, bigger many voices is a bigger voice. Um, so thank you for being so well, passionate absolutely. and doing what
4: and you do. No, of course. And look, I think realistically the narrative of, you know, that old adage of, you know, left governments invest in things like rehab, Right-wing governments don't. I think that's really outdated, and I think that's that's actually not a correct narrative. Because if you look at something like drug law reform, if you look at something uh, like investing properly in community services, yes, it's it, it's a moral imperative. You know, we know that risky drug use is mostly informed by trauma. I'd argue that the whole country, indeed the world, is going through a massive collective trauma right now on varying levels. No, Victoria the most, but you know the moral argument, we know it's there. The economic argument, we know it's there. There is absolutely, you know, it's 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 not. Look, the way I say it, it's not a red team issue. It's not a blue team issue. It's an all of us issue. It is so easy to buy into this idea because it it is such an easy fix. It will make us more money. We'll get people back to work. And the reality is right now we've got bosses unable to get their workers into treatment. We've got union leaders unable to get their members into treatment. We've got family members unable to get their loved ones into treatment. It's everyone. It's everyone. Therefore, in my opinion, every department and every portfolio should care.
0: Something I've been I think really... that um, what you were. <laughs>
1: so,
0: sorry, Nick. I, uh, I, I was just going to say on that on that um, issue of the 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 red team blue team mm-hmm. issue. I think it's notable in the United States that it was a lot of the Republican-led states that got really involved in prison reform. and um it was exactly you know for, for like maybe it wasn't for um maybe it wasn't for all of the moral issues that you 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 know you might um expect people to be arguing for it could have just been because it made financial sense right to actually rehabilitate people and get them back into the workforce rather than paying to keep them locked up for a long time you know, it could have just been the bottom line that that, that got them. You know, the, the bottom line of the budget that that got them across there.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And the reality is, look, of course, like I'm a I'm a bleeding heart. You know, like I am always I am always swayed by the moral imperative of something. That's just who I am as a person. But I think for whatever reason that people want to engage in the drug law reform fight. Um, for whatever reason people are passionate about opening more rehabilitation and outreach services, investing more in prevention, all of those reasons are valid. And all of them matter. The economic argument matters. It matters. That makes me want to throw up as a bleeding heart <laughs> lefty, but it's true, it does matter. It does matter. Um, no, and I'd argue no more so than now. Now more
2: than ever. My question for you, Steph, uh, really, you know, interested hearing about this work uh, uh, with with the unions and the, and the fact that there is a, I didn't, I, that's the first I'd heard that there was a, a union supported um, uh, rehabilitation uh, centre. That's uh it's, it's, it's a different area that I hadn't expected to see that from. and it, But it is, it's it's something that raises another issue um, that's been sort of at the side of my mind, which is uh, workplace drug testing. Uh, I know that the drug testing industry um, with the, the, the drug testing industry body have been seeking to get drug testing into workplaces. And this, again, is not the kind of drug testing uh, which is necessarily based on impairment because I think, again, nobody's really arguing... That people should be able to operate heavy machinery or or do uh complicated jobs when they're impaired but the sort of drug testing like hair follicle testing which can detect use of a range of substances months after use um is that is that something that's crossed your radar at all
4: uh look it hasn't not so much in our work uh, not not really um I would assume that it definitely will be something that will come up as we go along this journey. Obviously, um, you know, we're very open about our position something like cannabis, um, where, you know, we take the firm position that, of course, it should be regulated. Of course, you know, we could be, like, just think of the amount of jobs we could be creating. Think about, you know, how we could save manufacturing. We could say, you know, we could... We could get our farm workers working, you know, with cannabis with a great EBA. I mean, God, like that that to me is so exciting, good full-time union-paying jobs. In the United States, um, you look at the states that have have legalised in their states and the unions are doing incredible work in terms of membership, in terms of providing good, strong, full-time Union-paid jobs with agreements with healthcare, you know, which is huge over there. Um, but in terms of drug testing, what I think will be interesting um, is when, say, we do get to the point where we legalize. Because, look, I think it's inevitable and it will come. But you know, where do we sit with drug testing and impairment? Um, And I know that there was something, you know, some really exciting legislation came into place today. Um, But, you know, I talk talk about this with solicitors and barristers all the time where they sort of say, well, it's really hard with something like drug testing or drug driving when if something's not legal, how do you then put a legal framework in place to judge impairment? You actually sort of can't. In the, you know, and this was in, you know, the opinion of drug law reform barristers that I work with. So, look, for me, I think it will be a big issue that will have to be discussed the more we legalize substances and the better we get as a community about having that conversation. Because, look, if you smoked a joint and you're on like seven on seven off and you get done for it, I mean, that's pretty rough, right? Um, If you did something, if you're on, you know, if you're a FIFO worker and you're on two weeks on, two weeks off, and you did something at the beginning of your two weeks off and you have a hair follicle test and then you're done for it, even though you are not impaired, well, how do we have that conversation until things are legal, really? How do we do it?
0: I, um, I... I've got some friends that um, worked in the mining industry in WA, and um, this was actually that exact scenario. Is what um, drove a lot of the reporting, and, and I guess the, the the FIFO workers in WA were at the forefront of the what we call the synthetic drug, or, or more accurately, the novel psychoactive substances issues in Australia, for exactly that reason of drug testing. Um, because yeah. they might have liked to smoke some weed while they were on their two-week break, but the mining industry is, like, heavily regulated for safety for, for good reasons. Um, so people were um, actually getting into a lot of trouble with these novel psychoactive substances, mm-hmm. whereas they um, wouldn't have actually been impaired from, from the cannabis that they'd smoked before returning to work.
2: just on that before you go on Steph because this is something I've been following really closely as well and really interested uh, in in it because of exactly that issue because it is exactly the FIFO workers it's chem centre in WA which is the only statutory uh, forensic lab in Australia um, who who first identified the novel psychoactive substances um, who who first led uh, this charge against um, you know the the, the synthetic cannabinoids um, out there and and were able to detect those but it's sort of Strikes me as a bit, um, uh, so, uh, a, a bit sort of uh, narrow vision that they didn't see that the reason why this was happening is not because people are trying to go and, and, and ruin people's lives and go and, and um, operate machinery while they're impaired but because, you know, it's a high-stress work, uh, a high-stress job, they do have time off and presumably they're allowed to do, you know, anything that's, uh, well, anything legal, I suppose, and that's where we come back to the, uh, the barristers uh, having this sort of, like, perspective of, well, it's a bit, uh, you know, how do you make rules around something that's already illegal, but i sort of also think that um it, it's a bit of a far reach for a workplace to be able to um ask you for samples of your own body uh that have nothing to do uh with what's actually happening on the workplace at, at the workplace at that time that seems like a uh, an invasion of my liberties and, and like you I'm a, I'm a bleeding heart as well so uh, but i guess bleeding heart but also i like to keep the blood inside my heart keeps it going. like to keep my own bodily fluids to myself unless there's a very good reason that somebody else should have them and I don't think that things like hair follicle testing for example is is good reason at all.
4: No, look, and the FIFO thing is a really interesting subject because on one hand we've got, you know, that where someone might have smoked a joint on the first day of their two weeks off on the other hand, we've also got an entire community of FIFO workers that are struggling, that are struggling and need help. I grew up in North Queensland. My dad is still a FIFO worker. My dad has always been a FIFO worker. I've seen firsthand the stress. Now, look, very luckily, my father has not, you know, he's never had an addiction. He's, you know, he's been, you know, on top of his game, but, you know, That's not to say that you see the mental health effects of what that lifestyle can do, and we know full well. I don't know Bob Catter talks about it even all the time that, you know, the amount of addiction present and trauma present and and separation anxiety that comes along with 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 the whole lifestyle of FIFO is really detrimental, and we also. On the one hand, it's interesting because we've got to come up with ways that don't penalise people for, you know, having the cheeky j on the two weeks off. On the other hand, we've got to get better at looking after this workforce when they do fall into strife. We need to do both. And I look—I'm a firm believer that we can walk and chew gum. I don't think it. I don't think we have to have this hardline punitive response that negative negatively affects one half of that population, it's not right. We can do both, it's not hard. It's not hard and it's it's on the bosses, really. It's on the bosses to invest, it's on the bosses to support the trade union movement to to implement these things properly. And it's also, mostly, it's on the governments. It is on the governments to to support workplaces, to support institutions like WorkSafe and to support the trade union movement to implement more foundation houses, more, 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 more. Copy what they've done, replicate it, because it's working, it is working.
1: 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since
2: 1976 and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au.
4: Hi, it's Ronnie Kareni here from the Voice of Esperanto program. I joined the Tricia Community Radio back in late 2009 as a volunteer, a programmer, and also a staff member. And I must say that Tricia Community Radio is the only community station that has been able to bring the voices from diverse community backgrounds and various campaign groups. And for those people to be able to tell their own stories, and that is unique. You can't find that in any other stations or in mainstream media. For me, as a West Papuan, to be able to tell my own story and to give an update, that is special. It's important to support Tricia Community Radio this time when everything is in uncertainty. Much love to our Tricia Community Radio staff and volunteers for their tireless work in keeping the station going. Thank you. 3CR, your station in struggle and
1: solidarity.
4: To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. listening to 3CR Community Radio,
2: 855 AM. This is In Psychedelia. My name's Nick and Ash uh, also here speaking with Stephanie Thewson from the Progressive Public Health Alliance. Progressivepublichealth.com.au if you want to find out more information. And you know what, on, a, on an even simpler uh, addiction issue that I'm sure many FIFO workers uh, have for themselves and maybe don't uh, consider uh, quite the same level of addiction issue as somebody who might uh, be struggling with uh, with something like methamphetamine or something like that, Tobacco. Mm. And our hmm. favorite tobacco harm reduction devices are uh, vaping. Talk to us about uh, about this. Yes, as everyone gets their vaping yeah, device. And like, everyone,
4: uh, everyone rips a jewel in tandem.
2: <laughs> so, the Progressive Public Health Alliance, you're, you're in support of, um, of vaping as a, uh, yes. a. I mean, really, it's a. I, I've I've always considered it. It's just a competitive product to tobacco, really. Yes, it's a harm reduction device uh, by proxy, but really, it's it's just a competitive product to tobacco that's kind of better. <laughs> that's my sort of take. Oh, but
4: <laughs> look, and it's it is ninety five percent safer than punching darts. I mean, I just don't. You know, on that's that fact alone, to me, makes it just. To, I just can't conceive that people. I just find it inconceivable that governments would want to get in the way of something that is so much safer. Um, look, I mean, I look as look. I used to smoke. I used to smoke like a pack a day, right? Um, now I'm very much someone. I look, and I'm pro all of it. I look. If I could go down to the store and buy my jewel pods, I'd be a happy, happy person. Um, And I know flavours are really important to some people. Like for me, if I've got mint and tobacco and menthol, I'd still be happy, but I totally accept that for a lot of people that's not going to fly. And if the option is have minimal flavours, I will have nothing and leave people smoking, have minimal flavours and some people go back to smoking, or just have all the flavours and let's get people off the cigarettes. The more we can get people off the cigarettes, the better. Even if we've got people stepping down from a pack a day onto jewels or, you know, whatever device they want to use, I think that's still a win. If we can get someone from smoking 10 a day to one because they're transitioning to a Juul, fantastic. I think that's something that should be encouraged and celebrated. Um, it's something that comes up a lot when, when, you know, when I was going on site to visit rehabilitation centres across the country... What used, to, what used to get me is that we get, you know, these AOD workers would get people off of ice or heroin or whatever they needed to get off of, but they would still be a pack-a-day smoker because chewing the gum and Nicorette and all that stuff that you can buy at the chemist, that didn't work. So this person, it just struck me as so ludicrous because you've got someone who has worked so bloody hard to get off addiction, but then... We basically leave them with this, you know, inevitable addiction that one in two, it, they'll get them, you know. It just It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So what shocks me as well with vaping is that when I go and talk, sometimes I go and talk to a politician or whatever um, and they'll look at the whole policy, you know, a whole policy platform in terms of drug law reform and they'll go, yep, yep, yep. Yep, and I'll we'll get to vaping and go. No, nah, I hate vaping. So it's 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 amazing because vaping. I know, I know. It's still seen as this other thing that's over here, run by the big evil tobacco companies, and it's not seen on the suite of harm reduction measures. Whereas I just see it on the suite, right? Um, it's it's a, it's a tool in our tool belt. I don't. It's 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 the naloxone of tobacco, right? Like, it's a no-brainer. But also what gets me the most, I I'll see, don't talk to me about vaping because I, I um, go nuts. <laughs> it is the low socioeconomic communities that are the most harmed. It is working people that are most harmed. It is people living regional and remote that are most harmed. People with mental health issues, the most harmed. So... Look, I accept that raising taxes worked for a time, but really this just say no mentality to tobacco is all that does now is smash working people. You smash them and smash them and smash them, and then basically we're taking away a really viable measure that could save their lives. And Australia's plateaued. Why are we opening safe injecting rooms when we don't have vaping in the supermarkets? I don't understand that. Of course, we want more safe injecting rooms, more, more rehabs, more safe injecting rooms, more needle and syringe programs, pill testing. But this is so simple and it just, it blows me away that this, this is, vaping is the most hotly contested harm reduction issue. It's a no-brainer.
0: I I think... maybe just a few quick comments like one smoking related deaths in Australia are almost 20,000 people a year. So it just, it's, it's, it's such a cheap game. Um, one of my favorite talks, uh, I, I went to the, um, international tobacco, tobacco harm reduction conference in, um, Poland. Uh, what was it now? Two, two years ago now. Um, And it was actually the first time I met one of your colleagues from the Progressive Public Health Alliance. And um, my favourite talk at that conference was a a harm reduction worker from New York. And she raised exactly the point that you were making there about the fact that AOD workers, they do all of this work in um, assisting people with addiction treatment, maybe getting them on, on hep C treatment, dealing with other issues that they've got going on. And then you get to tobacco and stop. And so, you know, you've done all this work to improve a person's life, but their life expectancy is still maybe maybe 20, 30 years lower. And um, particularly in countries, you know, outside of Australia, HIV rates in injecting drug users are much higher. In New York, it's, I think, about 40%. Um, And um, smoking has even bigger impacts for people who also are HIV positive. So they're even more at risk from it. Um, yeah, and so she did a trial with some of her clients uh, with some vaping products, and it was so successful when she went to do the second round of the trial. She, she didn't have enough space because, you know, some people wow. talk to people and they were going, oh, no, it's amazing, it's great, you should get on it. But um, particularly for that community, and, and this might be true in Australia for some of those kinds of vulnerable communities you were talking about, they need help. Like, you know, I I remember watching vaping slowly become a thing in Australia and it was like it was mostly the trendy hipsters. It was mostly people in their 30s, like working professional jobs with like disposable income um, or maybe some of the psychonaut community that, that first took it up. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't those people in regional areas, people in their 60s who are, you know, who most need to to consider smoking, like quitting smoking for their their health. Um,
2: And it also wasn't... The big tobacco companies coming in at first with products and trying to plow those onto people. There are products out there now that are owned by big tobacco because guess what? Big evil corporations, no matter what you do, are going to try and get ahead of the game. And that's the same across the board. So it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Yes, we, we have to deal with those people. But even now, some of the biggest uh, vaping, vaping um, uh, providers, the people that are making these devices, are not tobacco companies. They are they, they're electronic companies. A lot of these devices came out of um, electronic companies based in Shenzhen in China, um, which is where a lot of electronic stuff comes from. So these these were you know, I, I mean that's where I think where it all first came from as well. Back in the uh, early two thousands, it was a, it was a Chinese inventor who first put together the first uh, vaporizer device and was like hey this is a good idea but you know as i said before it's a competitive product to tobacco so you know if you're the tobacco companies and you've got all these tobacco farms and you've got all the cigarette sales you probably don't want to be um having a having a product that's maybe not going to uh you know sell quite as many because it's really a like over and over and over and over with cigarettes. Well, um, I'm sure people do, you know, huff on these all the time. But I wonder, is there is there cost-benefit analysis of of uh, how much um, people spend on a vape versus a, a cigarette? I'm, I'm probably asking uh, questions that don't have there, answers No, No, there,
0: there, there is, and um, it's definitely cheaper. Um, I, I couldn't give you a figure, but it's significantly cheaper. Just two other quick things on vaping. Uh, we will come back and do a vaping special on the show soon because there's a lot happening in that space. But um, I think it was just today. The um, if uh, listeners are familiar with Cochrane reviews, they're they're considered a, a high degree of scientific review. They they do um, very substantive meta analysis where where they look at you know they they look at potentially hundreds of different papers and try and form like a, a succinct consensus on what the research tells us. And so there was one of those just published on vaping and it showed that, um, vaping devices are, I think off the top of my head, the figure was 60 67% more effective as a quitting aid than, um, your Nicorette gum or your patches, that kind of thing. So we know that they work.
4: Well, we know they work and look before, I mean, the figures will be a little bit out now because we know job keeper and job seeker are in place and you know the rates have changed slightly. But you know, before it was something like a pack a day smoker was spending something ludicrous, like 70% of their new start allowance. I think it was 70%, it was up there, sixty or seventy percent on tobacco products. Mm. Like how is that right? How is how is that fair? We're smashing our most vulnerable people. And we're penalising them. um, Well, we're penalising them with the just say no narrative, which we know doesn't work.
0: It's definitely an upside down topsy-turvy world that's gotten very strange when I'm hearing a hardcore unionist progressive person saying the same thing that I heard Tony Abbott say on Radio National about two years ago about the tobacco taxes and how they impact working class people.
4: Well, look, for me, uh, this is all, these are all working people's issues. It's working people that are being penalised by an out-of-date war on drug narrative. Um, And furthermore, if Australia, you know, we used to be the leader in harm reduction. You know, like I don't know anything about, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I'm just a campaigner. I'm just an activist that believes that this is, you know, this is a working people's issue. But, you know, I've been lucky enough to sit with the Bilbo Tells and the Julie Bates of the world and the Alex Wodaks of the world who tell me this amazing story. They'll tell me these stories about how Australia used to be the leader in harm reduction. And if there were ever a time for us to go back to that, it is now. We must because we are smashing working people, we are smashing the most vulnerable. But furthermore, God, imagine if we're, What if we were creating vaping products here? What if cannabis was legalised and we were producing it here? What if, you know, what, what if we were building more rehabs for the tradies who are out of work right now? What if, you know, there are so many what ifs and I guess for me, I look at all of this stuff in tandem. It's not just about people who are addicted to things and need help. It's not just about people who are seeking harm reduction measures. These things need to be viewed in tandem, especially now, because we could so easily be the leader in harm reduction and save lives, save jobs and save the economy. It's so simple. It is a working people. This is working people stuff.
0: I think that's probably a, a good point to um, start wrapping up. Just before I get to that, though, um, we we will do a special on this, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But um, for people that are interested in vaping issues, a federal Senate inquiry um, has just been set up. And if you want to find out more information about that, you can go to the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Australia website, ATRA. Or look up Legalised Vaping Australia and they'll have some information about how you can make a submission to that. Um we uh any final thoughts before we before we wrap, Steph?
4: Well, I just say to people, look, I speak to activists all the time who feel like because they're not a doctor or they're not, you know, a hundred percent in the workforce that, you know, they can't get involved, you can. There is Nothing more important than the power—the power of personal story. Um, I challenge anyone in anyone's lives listening who doesn't hasn't been affected by addiction or you know, people's inability to access good harm reduction measures or prevention measures. That's enough. Story hits way. Science is important, but there's nothing like sharing your story. So, if you care about this stuff, definitely reach out to us. Um, we're always happy to have activists who are passionate. Um, who can bring new perspective, irrespective of their, you know, political affiliation. So, yeah. Just and where can people it? find out
0: more about the Progressive Public Health Alliance?
4: Yeah. So you can head to uh, www.progressivepublichealthalliance.com.au. We're on Twitter, PPHA, at PPHA underscore AU. Or you can email me direct, but you'll find that on the website.
0: All right. We have been listening to Steph Doosan from the Progressive Public Health Alliance, talking about all things harm reduction and um, some of the exciting stuff that's been happening behind the scenes. So great to have you on the show, thanks, Steph.
4: Thank you, Steph. So much for having me. Thank you.
2: That's about it. all we have time for on this afternoon's show. Remember, you can find out more information at our website, npsychedelia.org or easiest way to find it is just go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, follow the links to the program page, find us, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram. Uh, also, um, I should mention, uh, drug rap, drug rap, uh, not on this week because we had a public holiday on Friday. Uh, yes, a uh, grand final public holiday, even though it's not here in Melbourne at the moment, still get the public holiday. I'm not complaining, I love public holidays, so... Uh, thumbs up uh, for that. Uh, but Drugs Rap will be back next week, but you can find, you can uh, catch up with all the latest in drug news by subscribing to that newsletter, drugsrap.substack.com. Uh, and again, if you have any tips, information, anything that you think we should be talking about, do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I will get those podcasts up. I did. Uh, there was somebody that sent me an email asking where the podcasts are. I'm sorry, that's my fault. I've been slack. It has been a rather depressing second uh, lockdown period trying to recombobulate my brain and get it running again. I suspect I'm not alone, uh, so at least we can take solace in that. We're all feeling a little bit sad together, which does that mean that it's a little bit happy? I don't know. I'd like to think so. It's kind of, it's getting nicer weather now, although it's been rather a rainy weekend, and now I'm doing the rambling thing again. Hey, Queering the Air is up next on 3CR. Stay tuned. Heaps of great shows, and zip it. Zip it, Nick. Zip. Zip. See ya. This is in psychedelia. psychedelia. For more information, visit enpsychedelia.org or follow us on Facebook,
1: Twitter or Instagram. Enpsychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our Our aim aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next, Sunday. 2pm next Sunday.
0: This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.